Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Outside the Sheds, a movement in the world of the NRL, AFL, Rugby League, Aussie Rules, Outside the Bubble. We do it all here, week in and week out. Welcome back, Shedheads. I hope you're having a great week. We're recording a little earlier this week. I have an event that I have to uh, go to uh, on Wednesday, a big birthday bash. 90 years in kicking. Uh, that's all I need to say about that. But it's going to be a nice uh, birthday uh, celebration that we're going to go to. and We're going to have a good time tomorrow night. But that's about tomorrow. We're not here for tomorrow. We're not here to talk about birthdays. We're not here to talk about celestial events around the world. No. We're here to talk about the games. We're here to talk about Aussie Rules Football, Rugby League, and we even have a report this week in the 4020 coming out of the Super League, which I know we probably don't cover as much as we should or as we'd like to, but do you guys really want to hear me talking for three hours? Because we could do that, but that's not why I do this, and I don't think that's why we listen. We're a short attention span uh, I, I guess people nowadays, um, I think that's why baseball struggles is because no one wants to sit and do anything for four hours anymore. That being said, I'm not talking any further, any longer about what could be so on and so forth, whatever. Let's dive right into this. Let's go right into the 40-20 and let's go into some of these matches. One of my eh, not supreme weeks, we had four for eight this week, but, uh, as I'd like to find anybody who picked some of these matches, especially the ones I missed because I, I did not fully see them coming. We'll start off with the match that started the whole round off. Broncos versus the Sharks. The Broncos and the little general Adam Reynolds continued to let the Sharks have a hoodoo when they go up to Queensland, beating the Sharkies 16-7. to uh, I, I really... I thought that they were going to rebound. I thought they were going to really fly into this. I thought they were going to really take care of business up at Brisbane. But like I said, some clubs just have a problem playing in certain places. And, and the Brisbane Broncos cause trouble to the Sharks. Those are those are low waters right there for the Great Whites to be dr trying to swim around in. But the Broncos get it done, take a little pressure off Kevy, which we always like to hear and see on this show. Panthers 18, Titans 4. The Panthers become the first team in NRL history to start back-to-back -back seasons 8-0, and I don't really see them slowing down. Uh, I think, the, the, here's a problem for the rest of the competition. Nathan Cleary is going to continue to get healthier and healthier and healthier, and that does not, how do we say this? This does not rank as something positive for every other team. And I, I think he's going to round into form going into origin, and I think the Panthers are are here to fly. I think it's a two-team race right now, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Rabbitohs 40, Sea Eagles 22. Rabbitohs turn it on over the Sea Eagles. Um, you know, I don't want to say that it's the the, the miss of, of Turbo, which we don't have to wait much longer since he's going to play against the Tigers this weekend. But I, I just think that it's only a matter of time before South Sydney starts flying and, and striking uh, on all cylinders. And I think we're starting to see that. It was Cody Walker's 150th game. Him being one of the oldest players in the history of the game to celebrate game 150 at the age that he is. But if Cody Walker rounds into form and Cody Walker starts to feel and play like the Cody Walker we all know that he can be and play like, uh, I think the Rabbitohs can get some strike back and get back into this competition where a lot of people thought they were going to be. Warriors 21, Raiders 20. And I and I hate to say this, but the, the rumblings going on now in the league is they're starting to call them the Canterbury Faders instead of Raiders. You know, they get clapped at last week uh, at the foot of the Blue Mountains as the, as the Petty Panthers fans take them behind the woodshed with the Viking clap. And this week, they let Matt Lodge do a Oscar-winning performance uh, of a fall. Ah, my neck, my head, and get a penalty goal or a penalty attempt, which allows the Warriors to tie the game late 
and lets Magic Johnson win it with a goal at the end uh, to take, again, the Warriors into a, a victory column, into a victory... Uh, I, I, that game really surprised me because the Raiders looked like the dominant team, and then all of a sudden the game started feeling like the Raiders were losing handle on it, and the Warriors just wouldn't go away. Um, so congratulations to the Warriors, but again, whew, the, the Raiders have some 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 problems of brewing there. Bulldogs 16, Roosters 12, uh, the upset of the round, maybe the upset uh, of upsets for a little while in the competition. Um, we're going to talk about this one in real, real detail when we go into a deeper dive here in a, in a matter of moments. But uh, congratulations. I know that the, the, the Bulldogs fans are some of the most passionate fans in the NRL, and they haven't had a, li- a lot to scream and to celebrate. Well, you definitely got it this week by uh, beating the Chooks. Cowboys 35, Eels 4. Not the upset of the round, but maybe the most surprising score of the round for me was this one. I picked the Cows, but I didn't think they would dismantle uh, the Eels. And a lot of people have been taking it to Brad Arthur's kid, and he can't do that. I'm saying he didn't play that bad that he should be copying the, the type of ridicule that he has been. I think that was questionable that, that, that Brad Arthur played... Um, maybe the halves pairings the way that he did. Uh, Dylan Brown should have no, by no means not been in the halves for me and for most people who, who kind of follow this. But sometimes these coaches get this, this wild hair to do things that the rest of the competition and the rest of the people just don't get. Um, and either it works for them or sometimes it can be the death sentence for a coach. Uh, we know that that's not going to be a um, death center for death, excuse me death sentence to Brad Arthur, but it, it does make you question, and it doesn't help that it's his kid um, that is playing in the halves that he's named because people will start saying favoritism, which I don't think Brad Arthur is that type of a coach. But again, it just has you never want the fan base to have reason to question when it comes to family in that way. Storm fifty nights two. I I did not think by any means the Knights were going to win this. I knew they were at, at McDonald's Jones Stadium and I knew that they really had a they were coming off a bad performance and really needed a statement game to kind of get them I don't know through the tough times and to kind of bring them out so at least they could at least they could see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, right Shedheads? But the performance they put together scoring 2 points How do I say this? There's no excuse for that. And I know, I know, I know the Melbourne Storm are, to me, one of the top two teams in this competition right now. And these two teams are pulling away. We've said this. But when you're playing at home and you cannot muster more than two points, there's some real problems. There's some real problems. There's things underneath the surface I don't know, but we're going to, again, talk about this one as well because this one baffles me. And then finally, maybe the best match of the round, the Dragons 12, Tigers 6, a lot of mistakes in the match, um, but Ben Hunt, I, I, I don't, the problem for Ben Hunt is Ben Hunt is good enough to be the Maroons halfback, okay? The problem for Ben Hunt is Daily Cherry Evans still plays the game. And there's no way you're taking Ben Hunt over DCE. And this puts him in the position that Ben Hunt will always probably be in the 14 jersey for State of Origin unless DCE gets injured. But that doesn't take away for how how great of football Ben Hunt is playing right now. For the last three weeks, he's pretty much put the Dragons on his back and carried them to victory. I'm saying this week he didn't even have Jack Bird playing alongside him inside the halves. And he still finds a way through kicking, through leading the, the, the chase down the field and making the tackle. He's just playing some incredible footy right now. And I don't see that changing. And I think that as long as he stays healthy, you know, the Dragons were looking pretty bad there for a while. And a lot of people thought they were going to play, you know, finals footy this year. And then all of a sudden, they, they looked horrendous. 
But now they're starting to creep back in there. They're starting to creep back into the thought processes that maybe they can make the top eight. And I think a lot of those players feel like they can play the, make the top eight. Um, and there's no reason not to believe that they can't with the way that Ben Hunt's playing right now. And so it was a really, really, it wasn't the most fundamentally sound match I've watched, but it definitely had a lot of intrigue to it. Um, but that was the round. Again, like I said, I went four for eight. But I, but let's go into some deeper dives about this last weekend. And I want to start with Gus Gould bringing the fire and brimstone to the sheds at Canterbury, unsettling people, going after, um, you know, Flan- Kyle Flanagan, and, and just calling people out. And if you've listened to people that have been coached by Gus or have taken a spray from Gus, and if you guys don't know what spray means, that means just taking a outlandish beating verbally from somebody, okay? But Gus is famous for being able to just eviscerate somebody when it comes to breaking him down and making him feel horrendous about themselves and calling them out, embarrassing them, but trying to bring the best out of them at the same time, all right? You gotta be, you gotta be tough to be around Gus. You just have to be. Uh, he's a no-nonsense individual, and I think that's either something you love about him or something that turns you off about the guy. I love the guy. I think that um, I love to listen to his commentary. I think he's got incredible insight. I almost wish that he was running the game. Now, I might not 100% agree that it wasn't a dangerous tackle in the Manly game this weekend, but but I do like some of the things that he would bring to it, and he possibly would have got he would get rid of the bunker, which would save us all about 30 minutes and a lot of headache. Now, what he did by doing this and kind of ripping the control away from Baz, a lot of people call that into serious, serious question. And and to an extent, I guess I kind of do too, in the standpoint that what happens now if the Bulldogs lose this weekend and Gus doesn't show up at camp? Do we now pin this on that the team isn't following Baz? Are they only fearing Gus? You know, what? what's real the real story with this? But I will tell you, the two things that came to light again this weekend when they beat the Chooks. One, Josh Adokar is a bad man. The Fox is no-nonsense a bad dude. He had two tries in the match against, against the Roosters and really has been the best player all year for the Bulldogs. And there's an error about Josh Adokar where he feels and he shows and he leads like he's been there before. And he has been, all right? Besides him starting his career with the West Tigers, which a lot of people don't even remember, uh, the Fox, there's something, he's got a charisma about him. When I met the Fox, he made it feel, he made it feel like I'd known him for five years. Laughing with me, just a, a really, really, really cool dude. But I think he's got now, after going to the Storm and playing and winning championships with Melbourne, he's got an air of, I'm a winner, too. And I know what it takes to be a winner. And I'm going to show you what it's like. Just get on my back. And that's, to me, the brilliance of him. And that's why, without nothing against Jackson, easily Josh Adokar would be my captain of the team. Easily, without thinking twice. He would be named my captain going forward. All right? But the second player that really showed up was Kyle Flanagan. And Kyle's really copped it. I'm saying I don't think he gets along great with Baz. I think him and Baz, I I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because Baz played the position and he wants a certain thing out of his halfback. And maybe he's not expecting his halfback to look like Kyle. I, I don't know what it is. But it does not feel like they have the warmest of relationships. And you don't have to like your coach always. As long as he brings the best out of you. But I don't know if he's brought the best out of Kyle. And then all of a sudden he gets this huge break because the report is that that Gus went after Kyle quite a bit uh, in, the, uh, in the verbal assault. But the only thing he did was to brush it off and go out there and have, again, a, a pretty darn good match. Not gaudy stats, but a match that he did steer his team around the field 
and he let Burton have the the, the ability to, to make good kicks by setting him up in the right position at times. All right? And that's what a, a halfback's job is to do, is to steer your team around. And I really do feel that, that Kyle Flanagan has really got the short end of the stick quite a bit. I, I think that... I think he'd probably steal. He'd probably be in the halves right now with Cronulla if his dad wouldn't have got sacked. Um, and then I, I just don't think that he's got. You know, he goes to the Roosters, and I don't think it worked out well for him there, and it ended bad. And he, you know, he he kind of got jettisoned from there, and it's just he just has not found that place to sit. That's why I thought that if 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 Madge didn't pull off these last two victories and kind of get a little bit of the heat off him. I thought we were going to see um, Flano taking over for the Tigers, and I thought he'd put a, a a move in to get Kyle over at the West Tigers. And the good thing about the West Tigers for Kyle Flanagan is the, the Tigers have been so bad for so long now, people just want results there, right? So the pressure goes off of him and allows him just to play his footy without feeling the weight of the world. But Kyle Flanagan stepped up, performed well in the halves, uh, and, and that was something really um, to be commended uh, because it's not easy when you take a spray like that to actually bounce back and to play a really, really good match. Um, but but like I said, I, I don't know where they go from here. They've got, again, a, a, a pretty, pretty, pretty tough match this week. Um, and I think they, you know, they've got the Raiders. So you've got a team that are both desperate and... You know, again, it's going to come down to how they look this weekend against the Raiders. Or, you know, do they look strong? Do they look like that win over the Chooks is something they're going to build off of? Or does it look like it's something that they're going to really struggle with the rest of the season? I think also coming out of this match, and and, and I, I'm not really going to go into a deep dive on this right now. I, I want to give it a little bit of time to really, really shake itself out. But you really are starting to think and look are the halves for the Roosters the right combination to get the best out of the team? Like, I don't I don't know who should be in the six or the seven between Walker and Luke Curie. And I and I don't think I think they're gonna have to get that right, that setup right for who should lead the team around the field and who should be in the six and all that type of stuff. Because until they get that right. I think you're going to see a, a, a Chooks offense that really doesn't know which direction they're going to. I'm saying if they didn't have if they didn't have Teddy and Joey Manu, that team could be in some real trouble right now, in real trouble. But they have those two players who have been able to kind of pull them to the shore when it looked like they were going to drown a couple of times. So um, we're not going to go into it deep, but I'm going to say this could be a problem on the horizon here. If they don't get this together and get it together soon. 120 points, said Shedheads. 120 points in two weeks. Now that's beyond freakish. We both we all know this. You know, that's just not something that should happen almost in today's day and age of the game. But it has. Now, normally you would say, ah, man, I I I is this just a, a you know, is this just kind of a uh, uh, you know, is this real, okay? Is this just something real or am I having a dream? But then you hear that it's belly aches, boys. You hear it's the bubbling storm. And then all of a sudden, they're playing so well, they've got such a history of doing this, you're like, oh, okay, I can see that. Ryan Pappenhausen, Cameron Munster are in strike form. Munster's in the best shape of his life right now. Pappenhausen seems like the fog is a hundred percent gone in his in his concussions, uh, and and he is playing some incredible footy. Now I don't know if he can get a concussion with that helmet head he's got, that Joe Dirty's got on top of his head. But either way, the guy is playing incredible footy. He might blind somebody with that rat tail smacking him in the face as if they try to catch him from behind. But he's in an informed fullback right now I'm saying if it wasn't for James Tedesco you would have to say that that Ryan Pappenhausen is the favorite to be the the, the Blues fullback for origin Cameron Munster right now playing for a contract no one knows where that's going to be at 
but he looks like he's having an incredible time, one. He looks faster. His quick twitch muscles are, are moving and exploding like we haven't seen. Probably because he hasn't chased those down with any, you know, triple X gold. But, uh, or four X. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All my friends up in Queensland. Four X gold. Four X. Uh, but he's playing incredible football. And that's not going to change. And as long as both those two stay healthy, uh, it sets up for an incredible match in Magic Round against the Panthers, one that I think all of us in the rugby league world are crossing our fingers that no one hits a stumble on the road uh, this weekend so we can have that matchup on Saturday night uh, up at Suncorp. But then you have Harry Grant. And Harry Grant, you know, there was the big, there was the big Brandon Smith, Harry Grant, who should be the, the, the hooker, who should be the, you know, the dummy half of the team. And then Harry Grant gets injured and, and Brandon Smith, you know, wins, you know, hooker of the year, you know. The thing about it is this. He's gone. Brandon Smith is going to be a rooster next year. But the Melbourne Storm knew the player they had with Harry Grant because when the Tigers were trying to kind of hedge the bet to see if they could get Harry Grant to stay there and to be their hooker of the future, the Storm said, no way in hell. He's coming back home. And that's just how that is. And, and and you know Harry Grant also knows that he wants to play for championships. And right now the West Tigers are nowhere close to that. But but Harry Grant is probably the in-form number nine in the competition right now. He's probably the best half and the best dummy half in the competition. And when you have that, and I'm not even talking, I've talked for five minutes now, and I haven't even mentioned Jerome Hughes. The Melbourne Storm to say they're dangerous is an understatement. But they are freakish right now. And it's not going to change. It's not going to change at all. They destroyed. They were a Category 5 hurricane hitting Newcastle this last weekend. And you almost felt bad for the Newcastle Knights. I don't know if I've seen... Okay, Madge. Madge has been pretty bad recently. But Adam O'Brien's... The clips of Adam O'Brien in the press box having to go through the match that he had to watch of his team out on the field. Jake Clifford looking like he had totally forgotten what he had done the first two weeks of the, the, of the season. A lot of people didn't believe in Adam Clune to be the halfback, but he's produced. Both those halves had produced together. And... And now they've played so bad, Jake Clifford. He's gotten the hook for this week. Clune nursing injuries, having his, his, his knee scan, possible hand injury. He's out this week. And so we've got Tex Hoy and Phoenix Crossland in the halves named by Adam O'Brien this week. And I, I'm going to tell you something right now, Shedheads. A lot of people have kind of played it off that that's not going to happen. But do not be surprised to see Kalen Ponga switching almost mid-game into the halves if it starts to look bad for the Knights this week. Because they are going to be taking on a beyond-informed North Queensland Cowboy Club. And I think that's the other reason that Adam O'Brien pulled Jake Clifford, because I think the pressure of going up against his old side, it really wouldn't have gone well. And we're talking so not gone well that the damage that could have gone down and taken place might be something that really sets, you know, Jake Clifford back for quite a while. So probably a smart decision by Adam O'Brien. But do not be surprised to see Kalen Ponga possibly switching into that 5-8 role and Tex Hoy dropping back into the fullback position in that match. I don't know what they're going to have to do, but they've got to do something very quickly because the Newcastle Knights are about ready to lose um, the competition, meaning they're about ready to lose sight of where everybody's at. That's how fast they're falling. They're in last place now. They're in last place after being in the top four after round two. I know it was only round two, but the wheels, every bolt on every single tire on that car is loose right now. And you're starting to wonder which is the first tire that's going to go shooting off to really cause you a bad day. 
And we'll have to see. You know, it's going to be interesting. It, it sounds like Adam O'Brien is safe. But you would expect, you know, the big talk about Andrew Johns, Joey Johns going back home to Newcastle and the attack they were going to have and on and on and on. And you kind of maybe now see why Newcastle was trying to push so hard to get Luke Brooks up to the hunter um, because they really have some situations right now. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on uh, for both of these clubs going forward. Now, we have to talk about the bad as well as we talk about the good on this on this show. You also know that I probably just talked about the Newcastle Knights for the last five minutes. So you're probably going, uh, Shed Adamus, really more bad? Unfortunately, we do. And it's a sad story because you hate to hear about an athlete having to call short a career because of injury. But that's what's happening. Uh, Ash Taylor uh, has retired from the game. He's retired from the, from the New Zealand Warriors and had to call time on his career uh, in the NRL. Uh, He's got osteoarthritis in one of his hips, that after the round two uh, clash, when he took on his former club, uh, the Gold Coast Titans, the next day after the match, Ash Taylor couldn't even go to the park and pick his kids up. That's how bad his hip was. And so he's tried to hold off, and 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 he's got he's taught, had three different opinions from doctors, trying to figure out if there was anything that he could do besides getting addicted to ibuprofen or some type of inflammatory or anti-inflammatory drug. Um, but I think the thing that scared him the most is he's 27 years old, and they're already starting to talk about hip replacement surgery. I've told you about my bad car accident that I had when I was, you know, a few years younger than, um, I guess, quite a, about five or six years younger than, um, than him. And I know I have a little bit of pain in my hip sometimes, especially if I haven't been stretching and working out the way that the pandemic has cost me. <laughs> but that's a scary thing to hear, hip replacement surgery, no matter what age you are, but especially at that age. So when he heard that, I think he started to understand that he wasn't going to put his family through that. I'm saying he didn't want to be 28 years old with a new hip. Um, and I think it was an easy decision for him after hearing that. So it has now been reported that him and his family are moving back to Toowoomba and that he is going to get into teaching. And one of the good things that he's had is the opportunity with some downtime that he's had is to be able to get his license to be a teaching assistant. Um, And that is really cool. Uh, It was really also cool to hear him talk about and talking to fellow players that it's smart to have something to fall back on. He was thinking that when he got signed to the Warriors that he might have another six years left in his career. But he still set things up so, quote-unquote, he'd be prepared if something happened. Well, lo and behold, it did, and now he's going back to Toowoomba, and he's going to be a teacher. So he's also talking about that he might want to get into coaching. He loves the game a lot, um, and he's talking about maybe coaching coaching in bush footy or something like that. So I don't care what he does. I just want him to be happy. Um, And with a young family like he's got right now, you know, he's got the rest of his life. And he's got two beautiful children that he's able to spend that time with and and a beautiful partner. So, you know, he may not have a trophy from the NRL, but he's got a trophy that he gets to come home with to every night, and that's a wife, a wife and those two beautiful kids. So, Ash, congratulations on a great career. Um, maybe not the way that you were hoping it would, it would end, but, you know, he played quite a while in the game, 116 games, um, and he was the 2016 Dale AM Rookie of the Year. So he definitely had a career that a lot of people will never have, and so congratulations to Ash Taylor um, on his unfortunate retirement from the game. Now, as we talk about one player having to leave because of an injury, we've got some good news. And let's go into it right now. The Raiders are celebrating their 40th year celebration this weekend. A lot of festivity there. A lot of pride with the Canberra Raiders. And by every means, they should. But they're also coming off a horrible loss. Uh, a name being associated with the, the club, the Faders instead of the Raiders. We know how that's going over with Ricky and some of the team, some of the guys from the team. So they need a kickstart to the season. 
I, they need Jolt Cola put into a syringe and shot straight into the jugular vein right now. Stat. I need 60 cc's of Jolt Cola. Stat. What I'm telling you is they need a kickstart. And not kickstart my heart by Motley Crue. They need something now. And guess what, Shedheads? They're getting it. Because the captain is back. Jared Croker, who has missed at least a year. And kind of a little bit more than that if you think about how he's been in and out of the side. Because of his hip and his knee injury has been named in the side this week to play for his beloved Raiders. Uh, he's going to be starting in the centers and replacing Sammy Valami. Um, And I, I can't express to you how excited I am that Jared Croker is going to be back in the side. I, I truthfully was hoping that Jared Croker was going to be back two, two rounds ago. But I think he needed to feel confident with his training. I think he had to feel confident that he could go out there and perform. Uh, I think him putting that number three on his back means almost more to him than anything in the world. I know he's got a beautiful new newer wife, so I know that he's that's you know that number three jersey isn't the number number one thing, but it's something he's had a lot longer than he's had his wife, and so I know what the importance is, and I know how much he loves that club, and I think none of us know how long we have. Look look at Ash Taylor; he by no means thought that he was going to be out of the game already. So Jared Croker. I am. I, I'm going to say this on this show. I am praying that he has an incredible game this weekend. Uh, I'm not saying yet if I think they're going to win or lose, but I just want him to have a straight cracker of a game uh, where when he comes off the pitch, comes off the field at the end, uh, he feels like he is back uh, and that he's ready to attack the rest of the season. So that is really good news. Also, uh, Chance Nickel Klockstad is going to be back in the number one jersey, and they're moving Jordan Rapana up to the wing. So Ricky's making, making some huge moves, trying to get something going. The one drawback the Raiders are going to have is that Jack Whiten is not going to be in the side because of his suspension. But hopefully that emotion, and they say that that emotion around the team has been high uh, after uh, Jared has been named back with the side. So who knows what this is going to mean, what this is going to lead to, but I think they can only go up from here right now for the Canterbury Raiders and uh, Canterbury Raiders, and I, and I think they're going to do well. I, I really do think that, that that inclusion could be the kickstart they need. Now, I'm, I'm on a roll right now, speaking of players coming back. And this one I did not see coming. And like I like I said, we're not boxing here. I'm not I'm not Paul Gallon, so I'm not expecting to take a shot over the shoulder right to the chin. But this one almost caught me on the chin. And that is Corey Norman has come out of retirement and signed a contract for the remainder of the 2022 season with Toulouse in the Super League. And right now Toulouse sits at the bottom of the table. And I really think that they are looking for a guy that can come in there, play multiple positions, and really provide a strike. Now, what I think catches a lot of people off is that Corey Norman said he has nothing else to prove. He's happy with his decision to retire and to move away from rugby league, but maybe not as much as, as he thought he was going to have because he has signed to come back there and play with a club and to get back into his profession of rugby league. Um, I'm really interested in what Corey Norman's going to look like. I know he's going to have probably at least two or three more weeks that he's going to have to try to get his body back the way that he wants to. But um, but I've always said I think Corey Norman has a lot of talent. I just think a lot of times it's tough to keep Corey Norman focused at the, yeah I don't know, the, the, the matter at hand sometimes. So um, interesting, interesting development. And I'm very interested to see uh, what Corey Norman does with this opportunity has been handed to go and play in the Super League. Now let's go into some picks for this round. And like I said, we went 50% last week, so we need to pick that back up again. Uh, we've been really hot the last few weeks, so let's see what we can do. Thursday night, Broncos versus the Rabbitohs. The Adam Reynolds return match. Adam Reynolds coming back home, back to Sydney, back to where it all started. Uh and able to take on his beloved Rabbitohs. And for that reason, for that type of emotion, 
I'm taking the Brisby Broncos to beat the Rabbitohs on Thursday night. Friday night, the match we've been talking about recently, the Bulldogs versus the Raiders. Who's going to happen? Are, are the Raiders back or are they going to continue to be the faders? Are the were the, are the Bulldogs just a, a one-trick pony? Or does Gus Gould have these guys ready to, uh, how should I say, put a, a bite back into their game? Unfortunately, I'm going with the green machine. They're at home. I'm taking the Raiders. Um, riding that wave of emotion of the captain being back, I've got Raiders over the Bulldogs. We've got a big match here. Two weeks ago, this looked really exciting. But since the, the Tigers match and the Cowboys match, the Eels have been a little bit of a, a, a downward spiral. Um, and, you know, the Panthers are the Panthers. So I can't pick against Penrith right now. And I think you'd be foolish if you did. Saturday, Tigers versus the Sea Eagles. Um, some people want this to be a grudge match between, between Jackson Hastings and DCE after the fallout that happened when Hastings with, was with Manley and things went bad and pretty much helped push be the final nail in his coffin to get him sent out of the NRL the first time. Um, DCE has downplayed all of that. But with Turbo back, uh, it's going to be tough for me to bet against the Seagulls, and I'm taking Manley over the Tigers. Then we have the Titans versus the Roosters. Uh, a Titans team that played pretty darn well against Penrith last week, against a Roosters club that really does not see, they really don't seem like they know which direction they're going in. And I know they do because Robbo is still their coach, but they just have not looked like the chooks that we're used to seeing. Well, what better time to get back? I'm taking the Roosters over the Titans. Saturday night, Knights versus the Cowboys. Uh, Yeah, I don't have to go long with this. Uh, I only have to say Hoy and Crossland. Give me the cows. Dragons versus the Storm. You've got the 120 kid, 120 point kid, whatever you want to say, against the hot St. George Illawarra Dragons and Benny Hunt. Um, I really wanted to pick the Dragons in this, but there's no way I can take uh, a team besides the Storm right now. Next week, a change at Magic Round. But for the time being, I'm taking the storm all the way. And then Sunday, Warriors against the Sharks. Sean Johnson up against his other team. Um, Going to be very interesting. But I think, I just, I, I really think that, that the Sharks are just a better club all the way around. Um, and, you know, Dale Finucane will be back, um, which they're saying they're projecting he'll be back with the side. Uh, I can't go against the Sharkies. I think the Sharkies win, and they win sound uh, in that match against the Warriors. Now, let's go on to our other love. On the mark, let's go into the world of the AFL. And I got to tell you something. We were below 50%. Not happy about that. There were some shocking matches, really close matches that went the other way. We're going to have to deal with it. But I got to tell you something. The match that started off the round, Tigers 165, Eels 56. The word dismal can't really do that justice. West Coast is in trouble, folks. Shedheads, I know we're, we're talking about Newcastle having some problems. Newcastle looks like the buy of the century compared to the West Coast Eagles right now. Um... It was so bad I didn't even see it coming, but it happened. And we're going to talk a little bit a little bit more about this match a little bit in a little bit. Docker 69, Cat 66. Uh, the Docker stunning the Cats um, and really, really, really put their stamp in this competition. Giants 113, Crows 54. To me, a major statement match played by the GWS boys. Uh, showing that they're not going anywhere and they're not quitting on their coach. Demons 91, Hawks 81. Uh, Hawthorne gives the Demons a scare, but again, when you're playing with the strike that the Melbourne Demons are playing right now, you laugh at the face of fear. Power 43, Saints 42. Uh, A come-from-behind victory for Ken Hinckley's boys. And I said... 
I, I, I did not think they were going to win this match. But I said last week after that victory, I said, what happens if the power put together two in a row? Because no one thinks the power is bad is what the, the beginning of the season has shown them or shown us all. And I think that showed with the way that they played and the way and the heart they showed uh, by getting the victory here. Blues 114, Ruse 64. Uh, I'm just going to say Blues get back on track. There's nothing else to really say there. Magpies 115, Suns 90. Um, you know, Ginevan, again, uh, that's that's this kid is something special. And I'm actually going to do a, a little bit of a story on him here in a second. Bulldogs 103, Bombers 71. The dogs getting a little bite going again. Uh, but the Bombers... The Bombers are a bomb without a wick on it right now because they're not burning at all and they can't explode even if they wanted to. And finally, Lions 113, Swans 89. Uh, you have to say that the Lions have now roared their way into the competition as one of the favorites behind the D's and right there with Frio. Now, speaking of that, let's start talking about the Fremantle Dockers. The Fremantle Dockers, to me, uh, might be the surprise team of the competition right now. I don't think anybody had Fremantle um, penned into the top four, but here they are. And after a three-point heroic victory over the Cats, away from home uh, at GMHBA Stadium, um, Fremantle has now really solidified themselves as a team to beat in this competition and a flag contender. And I cannot believe I just said that all in one sentence, but they are. Um, they, they sit now six on the second on the ladder and they look like a team that is beyond confident in what they can do and how they, I'm saying they're not just lucky, you know, luckily falling into some victories here. They're playing some of the best defense. Uh, they're showing incredible strike, but they're doing it with a bravado and with a class and a confidence that I don't think any of us were expecting them to, to, to have or them to play with. And that's ex especially without their captain, Nat Fife. Nat Fife hasn't played one game yet this season. Um, so you're talking about a team that's going out there and finding their leaders on the run. And they're still getting these performances. Um, that was only the club's fourth victory ever in 19 attempts at Cardinia Park. So when the team, you know, we were just talking about the Sharks and the who do they have when they go up to Brisbane and play against the Broncos. Uh, that's a hoodoo right there. When you win four out of the last 19 uh, attempts at anything, you'd have to say you're not a winner at a certain location. But this team is definitely and easily shaping into Justin Longmire, maybe one of his best clubs that he's ever coached. And I think that the, the sky is the limit right now for the Dockers. And, and if Nat Five comes back in this in, in really good strike and in really good shape, it's going to be very interesting to see what this team can do and what they can become. Well, you know, last week I was playing the Death March music for the GWS skipper, Leon Cameron. Uh, it was looking bad. There was not a lot to celebrate for GWS, um, there was already rumblings if, if, if Hurt was coming in. You know, which direction was GWS going to go? Well, I'm going to tell you something. The GWS giant showed something that you don't see a lot in sport. And they actually showed that they were not going to give up on their on their skipper. They were not going to give up on Leon Cameron. And behind Toby Green's four-goal performance, they showed that they're not going anywhere without a little bit of a fight. And I was kind of expecting Toby Green to have this type of a match last week. Uh, and, and I probably, you know, you're so used to seeing these guys that are just some marquee dudes, right? Let's just say that marquee dudes. That when they don't go out there on a strike at a big time situation or big time game or moment, you kind of start to go, huh, well, I didn't see that coming. Um, but Toby Green did it this week. And he did it with that same Toby Green flair and panache. Uh, he also assisted in two two goals. So it that was really good to see if you're a GWS fan. 
Now, I think the thing that makes you even more impressed about the performance by GWS is it wasn't just Toby Green. But I will say it was probably the spirit of Toby Green that got these boys lifting. But Coniglia, Hogan, and Lockie Whitfield each had three goals themselves in the match. And that, to me, is a wow moment. Because when you get the co-captain playing well, uh, you know, and we know the, the, the player that a lot of people think and expect, uh, you know, Hogan to be, even though he hasn't probably lived up to what a lot of people thought Jesse Hogan was going to be, um, you just wonder. You wonder if this team could catch some fire right now, uh, if they could get a little bit of confidence built up. Um, but they played some inspiring footy, uh, and they really, they really, really, really took uh, that team to the sword. Um, by by really dismantling them in a lot of different ways. Now, to me, the the, the 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 real, I guess, question about everything is: was that a, a, a an aberration? Was that something that we're gonna you know that was really kind of fake? Uh, it was like I'm in the desert, I haven't drank water for 12 days straight. I know that's not possible, shitheads. But um, or is this team gonna make a statement this weekend, upset the cats, and start something um, kind of like the power? And start ascending quickly up the ladder. I think we're going to have to wait to see. But I think they have the pieces to really do some damage and to get back into this thing. Now, Shedheads, I'm going to tell you something. I, you know a lot about your Shed Adamas. You know my likes, my dislikes, my loves, my not loves, all that stuff, right? Well, you might not know this. I haven't talked about it much. But I love cult heroes. I love cult heroes. To me, a cult hero... Eric Cantona, Manchester United, cult hero. Uh, let me think of another cult hero so you guys can. Benji Marshall, West Tigers, cult hero. Um, you know, the, every club probably has a cult hero. And if that's your club, you probably know who it is. But I love to watch when a cult hero comes onto the grand stage, when they become somebody that goes from nobody knows who they are two weeks ago to him being a, him or her being a household name um, two weeks after no one knowing they were there. And we've got this story developing. We've got this moment happening in front of our eyes right now. It's going on at Collingwood and the young names, the young man's name is Jack Ginnivan. Ginnivan, I will tell you something. This guy, I'm not even a Magpie supporter. I have nothing against Collingwood. I think that they've really dropped the ball in the way that they've done um, some players who may not look like everybody at the club, if you know what I mean. And I think that has no place in the game. But Collingwood has a long, proud history. Like I said, a tainted one right now with some things that have happened. But they've had some famous players before in the past. You know, Swan and, um, you know, Buckley. Just naming a couple right there, right? Well, in the last two weeks, forward Jack Inman has been, like I said, he has been something special. Uh, he's kicked eight goals, been awarded the Anzac Medal, followed that up with a possible goal of the year in his three-goal performance from last weekend against the Suns. And you just kind of see the light going off in this kid's eyes. And, and, and I've said this. The lights turn on for every player differently and at different stages in their career sometimes, right? The thing about this young man is he's only played 10 games. 10 games, all right? So that right now, almost an average of a goal a game. And he's kind of just starting out, really. Um, now, there's the, the pros and the cons for this. Either this kid is going to be something special that will go down as one of the greatest Collingwood players. And I know this is early on. But what I'm saying is this type of start is that type of start where this kid hits like an atom bomb and all of a sudden he's going to be there for a while. Or he is going to be a star that burns bright quick and then it goes out. To me, it all comes down to a couple of things. And that is proper structure for him team leadership to help guide him in the right way, in the direction, if he has off-field um, 
indiscretions. Now, he went out for a couple beers with his mates after the Anzac performance, and um, some of the leaders brought him in to say that that's not what we do. Uh, but then he goes out and has a three-goal performance uh, later on, you know, in the next round. But I just hope that this young man's star keeps ascending and burning bright and isn't a quick fire flash in the pan thing. Because even if it is, he's already achieved that cult hero status for the last two weeks that he's done. Um, but hopefully we see that peroxide blonde hair running up and down the field for Collingwood for quite a while. And he only gets stronger and better and more confident. Now, the team that Collingwood faced this weekend is their one of their arch rivals, and that is the Richmond Tigers. The yellow and black haven't had a lot to cheer about this season. Um, they've lost. Uh, the, you know, they're 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 two and four right now. They're sitting in twelfth. Um, you know, Trent Cotchin hasn't played every game, and now you come with the performance of Dustin Martin. You know, stepping away from the club after round one. Well, finally, Tigerland, we've got some positive news. And that positive news is that this week against the team, just the aforementioned Collingwood Magpies, Dusty's back. Dustin Martin is expected to run out on the field uh, for the Tigers in the key pivotal matchup against their, I don't want to say beloved rivals, but their most despised rivals possibly in Collingwood. I don't know. You know, reports out of out of Tigerland is that Dusty's been training well, um, that he's been in good, you know, been in good spirits, um, that he's happy to be back around the boys. Um, but I think the only way we fully know how sound Dusty is is the performance he puts in, and no one expects him to kick four or five goals his first match back. But that he gets to be the Dustin Martin a lot of us think and know that he can be. Uh, and it's going to take a lot of mental fortitude to get through this and to get there. But again, I've watched Dusty do some incredible things. Uh, there's a reason that he is probably my favorite AFL player. So I'm interested to see how he comes off of this, especially after the talk that we've had plenty of times on this show about my childhood and about you know some of the losses I had and how it affected me. So uh, welcome back, Dusty. Hoping to see you on the on on the field this weekend against Collingwood. And my God, what a head-to-head we've got. Gideon and Martin. Going to be some good stuff. Now, let's get over some picks. I, like I said, we, we were under 50%. We don't accept that here on Outside the Sheds. Your Shed Adamas expects a lot from himself. And one of the things he expects to do is to win. So let's get these picks going. Friday, Bulldogs versus the Power. I'm staying with Hinkley's boys. They make it three in a row. I'm taking Port Adelaide. Ruse versus the Dockers. Do I really even need to waste some breath on that? I've got the Docs. Uh, Magpies versus the Tigers. This, to me, is a coin flip game. It's at the MCG. Dusty's coming back. Uh, I don't know yet fully if Kachi's playing. Uh, He was rested, so hopefully he's doing well and that he's out with the side. But I've got the Tigers winning that match over Collingwood. Then we've got the Suns and the Swans. After their loss to the Lions this last week, I think the the Swans are going to come back and have a point to prove. And unfortunately for the Suns, they are laying on the road and there's a... 18-wheeler barreling down on him, and I think that 18-wheeler is going to be wearing uh, red and white. Saturday, Cats versus the Giants. I'm going to go with the upset to me of the round. I'm taking GWS, upsetting the Cats, uh, and and to get this, this, this party rolling behind Toby Green and the boys. Then we've got Hawks versus the Bombers. Another match, again, do I really need to say much? We're taking the Hawks. Eagles versus the Lions. Uh, this used to be considered a big-time tussle, uh, a big rivalry, uh, but I don't think it'll even be close this week. I've got the Lions. Saints versus the Demons. I'm not doing it anymore, shitheads. I, I, I get caught trying to think and pick the big, big upset right, uh, and I get burned more than I should. So I'm not doing it. I'm taking the informed club. I'm taking the Demons over the Saints. And then Sunday, Crows versus the Blues. A Crows club that has a lot to prove after this last round. But I think the Blues are the better team. And I'm taking Carlton to get the victory. 
Now, as we go into the guns this week, uh, a lot of good performances. It was tough to just pick three, um, but these three men definitely stood out and really pushed the envelope. My number one gun, Tom Lynch, seven goals, five behinds, 19 disposals, 17 kicks, two handballs, 14 marks, two tackles, one clearance, 349 meters gained. The match that I think Tigers fans were hoping to see a lot more from Tom Lynch, and he finally steps up and gives them the performance um, that they needed. And hopefully, who knows, maybe the player that the light has clicked on and he's ready to go out and take this competition by the, the nape of the neck. Number two, Toby Green. I can't have Toby not on my list after the performance he did and what key attribution he was to the inclusion of the club. Four goals, one behind, 17 disposals, 10 kicks, seven handballs, seven marks, one tackle, 297 meters gained. Um, you may dislike him. He may not be everybody's cup of tea. Sometimes he even you know wears on me, but you can't take away the performance and the player that Toby Green is. And then finally, um, this player right now has been fascinating. I've enjoyed watching him. My number three is Xavier Coates, a player that really looked like he didn't know his way or his direction playing up in Brisbane. You get him out of that environment, that element. You, you take him down to Melbourne. And this guy, it the light isn't fully even on up there yet. But he's starting to understand that he can be a superhero and that he could be a superhero definitely for a few years. Um, so, so I... Uh, you know, he is special. Xavier Coates is. I just, I just can't. I'm curious, and I am hoping the bellyache isn't going anywhere for a while, because I would love to see what this kid's like after two seasons that are under Craig Bellamy. But again, um, three tries, 83 running meters, three line breaks, one try assist, two tackle breaks, one tackle made, 33 kicking meters, um, and again. He kind of has that sensation when I watch him. He's kind of like a, a a teenage deer that is about ready to get to grow his full antlers. And I think when he grows his full antlers, he could be one of those players, again, coming out of Melbourne, that is one of the toughest, toughest players to play against. All right. Let's go outside the bubble. And I'm going to tell you something. We've talked a lot about my favorite sports. We've talked about the things that mean the most to me, and that's not even just Mrs. Shedadamas. No, what I will tell you, I love some Frozen Pond. You've heard me talk about it. And maybe my favorite time of year, besides NRL, AFL playoffs, is the Stanley Cup playoffs. To me, those three playoffs are the three toughest playoffs of any sport, period. All right? And it's begun. The N the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs have begun. Um, what you have to do to win that award, I don't think any other club is more difficult. Any other sport is more difficult because we're talking seven game series, and it just what you have to to sacrifice to go through all four rounds and lift that cup. It may not be again a sport that's tougher to pull off that accomplishment. Um, especially with how the body gets through it because nobody gets through that competition without being hurt in some way. That being said, there's four main series for me to watch in this first round of the playoffs. My number one uh, happened last night and my number three happened last night. My number one is Tampa versus Toronto. This series is going to be violent. This series is going to be hard-hitting. Uh, there's already a suspension about ready to come down for a player that did a dangerous hit from behind. Um, this series is going to be one that I think we're going to talk about for a long time after these playoffs are over with. But um, T Toronto got game one last night at home over Tampa. So game two is going to be really, really key. Um, but that is easily my number one uh, series in the first round. Then my number two is Carolina versus Nashville, which, kick, which kicks off this evening. You've got the high-flying Colorado, the Colorado Rockies, excuse me, Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche. You have to understand the New Jersey Devils used to be the Colorado Rockies. Uh, and now they're the New Jersey Devils and the Colorado Rockies is the baseball club. But the Avs, 
the Colorado Avalanche against Nashville. You got the high flying Avs against a defensive stalwart in the Nashville Predators. I think it it, it sets up for some really really demanding hockey, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see whose system rides out on top. We all know that uh, that Colorado probably has the strike team of the competition with what they can do. But I think that you've got a Nashville team that knows they don't have those type of all-stars and they're just going to come out there and play uh, the most physical, demanding, hard-hitting series they can take towards Colorado. And I'm so, so eager to watch that series. Number three, a, 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 a playoff matchup that has not happened since 1992. The Edmonton Oilers versus the LA Kings. They're rooted in history. Both of them had the great one play for him, Wayne Gretzky. Um, and last night, 4-3 victory for the LA Kings. Um, kind of an upset. The, the, the Edmonton Oilers had won 14 out of the last 15 at home. They were 14-0-1 because that one was a tie. Um, so this is going to be something. Sometimes you have to have a team win a game that you don't expect them to or that you almost don't want them to to get that series you're looking for. And now with the Kings up 1-0, it's going to be very interesting to me to see how this plays off because now we're probably talking a six or seven game series and game seven in the NHL, there's nothing like it. So, and then the final series, Rangers versus the Penguins. Uh, Not a fan of either team, but I am a fan of Ryan Reeves that plays for the Rangers and I'm a fan of the Rangers coach, who used to be the Vegas Golden Knights coach. Um, so this is going to be a very, very key series. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. A lot of people don't see it this way. I think the Rangers handle Pittsburgh in five games. I think they take out Pittsburgh in five games. So um, going to be very interesting, but I've got the Raiders uh, marching on into the playoffs. Now, the other playoffs that are going on right now, there is a series to me that is must-watch, Shedheads, and I hope you're checking this out. No matter if you're in Australia or New Zealand, I know the times are going to be different a little bit. But the Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, I think, has a potential to go six games. I think Golden State will win the series. But after the basketball I watched two nights ago, um, Draymond getting thrown out, um, Clay having one of his worst games he's had since he's come back, but somehow still, Golden State found a way to beat John Morant in Memphis. In Memphis, uh, I think it is probably the most key victory in all the playoffs up to this point. Um, but they stole one. And a young team like Memphis can't have a team with the history of Golden State. They can't let them steal games like that. Because the games they should win then, they will win. So... Uh, to me, that is going to be barn-burning stuff. You're going to have highlight reel after highlight reel after highlight reel. Uh, and I think that it's going to be something that's going to stick with us for a very, very long time. So if you get a chance, check out that series. Uh, right after I get done recording this show, I'm going to go lock into it right now because I think it's playing right now downstairs. And then finally, to me, of all the stories that I've said this week, the number one feel-good story, and I might not top this one for a while, Shedheads. You can see by my enthusiasm. You can see by my excitement. This is a cool story. This is a meaningful story. And hell yes, it is. And that is Lester Wright. And you guys are like, what is he talking? Who? Lester Wright. Lester Wright is a special man. Lester Wright did something maybe none of us will do. Uh, maybe 1% of us will ever do. Maybe the top-tier athlete that you're thinking of right now could not do this. Lester Wright ran the pen relays. Okay? And you're like, okay, he ran. He ran the 100. The 100-meter dash at the pen relays. The guy's a legend. And again, you're saying, Shedda Thomas, what the heck are you getting at? All right, I'll get it to you right now. Lester Wright ran the 100-meter dash in 26 seconds, and he is a champion. Again, you look at me and you go, Shedadamus, what the heck are you talking about? All right, full story. Lester Wright ran the 100-meter dash in 26 seconds, 
did not finish last, but won the race. And the reason he won the race is because he ran it in the 80 and over division at the Penn Relays. But he wasn't 80. No. He wasn't 90. No. Lester Wright is 100 years old, running the 100-meter dash in 26 seconds and beating some 80-year-olds in the race. To me, that's one word. Legend. And I don't think anybody else will disagree with me there. Because this this man right now, that doesn't inspire you. When you, ah, oh, I got a little bit of an ache. Ah, oh, I feel tired. To not get off your rumpus and take it to this life and to this world. Think about Lester Wright. And if you get a chance, make sure you look up this cha- this legend's picture as he's flexing in his after race picture. Uh, and I got to tell you something. I'm not planning on being here till I'm 100. Uh, you know, I don't drink. I don't drink virgin blood for a part-time job. Uh, and I've I've got some serious uh, injuries that I've had to deal with. So who knows how much longer I've got on this planet? None of us know. Hopefully, I've got a lot more because I'm pretty rambunctious. I'm good. Don't worry about me, shitheads. But uh, this guy has inspired me after seeing this picture and to read this story. Uh, and Lester Wright, you are my real gun. On Outside the Sheds this week. Shedheads, we've got some great matches this weekend. We've got some tilts that are going to be fiery. I know a lot of us in the in the, in the the rugby league world uh, are holding our breaths that, uh, that the Penny Panthers and the Melbourne Storm can get these victories this weekend to set up the huge clash for Magic Weekend uh, in two weeks. But uh, have a great week. Stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. Can't wait till next episode. Uh, but this has been Outside the Sheds. I'm your Shed Adamas and host, Corey Jackson. Until next week, see ya. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson, talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 